Well, good morning. It's good to see you. That's a, come on, we can do better than that, right? Good morning. Yeah, it's good to be here with you. Not in a, you know, a satire way, Laura. Good morning. Let's try it again. Just for just Laura this time. Good morning. There we go. Thank you. All right. Don't make fun of me right off the bat. Wait at least a little while before you do that. Um, it's great to be here with you all. Uh, I know I've not met all of you, and so uh, let me just introduce myself just a bit. Uh, my name is Kevin Harlan. I serve on the pastoral team here at Christ Community. Uh, and uh, my role is I get the joy of working with our campus pastors across the city, uh, helping them and leading them as they do, uh, are about the work that God has called them to, uh, particularly reaching into the communities where God has placed them, which really kind of brings me to a perfect point just to say thank you to Gabe and Allie for the investment that the two of you are making here in the city. And I am so thankful that God led you here, called you here to be in this place, and probably more importantly that you said yes. So uh, thanks for saying yes to coming and being... I think I heard applause starting to break out, but I wasn't sure. Uh, I think they wanted to, Gabe, just so you know. Um, Yes, thank you. Uh, Now it's manufactured. So... Uh, And thank you for the investment that you've made here in this place. Uh, I know that many of you um, have committed significantly and have worked tirelessly to bring about this place. And I just want to pause. I don't get opportunity to do it enough and just to collectively with everybody here say thank you to those of you who stepped out in pioneering faith to start something new in a new place. Uh, I know you probably had doubts along the way. It's like, is this really going to be worth it? Is there, are we really going to make it? And uh, it feels so good to be here and to share in this moment with you and to you know, see this space and be present here in the community like we are. And just want to say thank you to those of you uh, that have uh, committed and paid uh, in the investment of your time and energies and resources and along the way. So thank you to all of you. Uh, my wife Sharon and I have been part of Christ Community for almost 20 years, which is hard to believe. Um, We moved here to Kansas City in 1993. Uh, I've been uh, on the pastoral staff, have served as a pastor for the last 11 years. Um, On Sundays, I primarily serve as part of the teaching team at our Leewood campus. So there's three of us that uh, preach there and teach there on Sunday mornings. Uh, In this year, in 2013, I'm spending time a couple of Sundays every... um, two Sundays per year at each of our campuses. So I kind of have this joy of popping in. I know I've seen some of you as I've, you probably wondered, who is that guy? He keeps showing up here. I see him down here. Uh, So this is the work that I do. I'm primarily on Sunday mornings. So the people in Leewood know my jokes better than others. And uh, so if you're new, if the Leewood people are laughing that they've come from Leewood, you wouldn't even know who they are. But if you hear someone laughing, go ahead. All right. It's uh, okay to make fun of me along the way. Uh, I I just want to say I love the local church, and I am uh, amazed that I get the opportunity to be involved in serving her in this way. Before joining the pastoral staff, uh, I worked for a Christian nonprofit here in Kansas City, one that you may be familiar with. I know there's some of you in here that are familiar with, a nonprofit called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Um, You may or may not know that the headquarters for FCA is located here in Kansas City. Uh, just across from the stadium. You see that big building across from Kauffman Stadium and Arrowhead. Uh, And that's where, in in 1993, my family was brought here to Kansas City. I took a role, a national leadership role with FCA, and began serving there in the headquarters. Um, And I loved my work with FCA. 
uh, and I'm so thankful for the 19 years that I had to um, be able to invest and work in the wor- or work in the work of FCA, both in Oklahoma, which is where we moved from, and here in Kansas City. God used FCA in my life to really introduce me to Christ, uh, to make the truths of the gospel known to me, and and as a result of that, I'm a new person, and and I am forever grateful for the work of FCA in my life. During my time with FCA, I traveled quite a bit, especially while I was here in Kansas City. I worked with staff members across the country. Uh, I got on planes a lot. I knew the airport well. Uh, And for those of you who travel frequently, you understand with me that with a life of travel comes both blessing and curses. At first, business travel can sort of feel like you're taking repeated vacations and it's being paid for by your employer, (laughs) which, I mean, that's awesome. You know, it's like you get on, it's like you're waking up every day getting a chance to go on some sort of new vacation. But it doesn't take long if you've not traveled and if you have, you understand this. It doesn't take long for it to get old and for you to begin to recognize, I'm not sure I'm supposed to live this way and is there some other way that I ought to be thinking? It's like you sort of repeatedly get to go to vacation destinations and are continuously locked in a hotel room for me in meetings. And then there's this reality that you're just not home, you're missing home, you're missing your family, and you, you just recognize, I, I, I want to be there. But there are perks with the life of travel. And I must admit, I miss some of them. Uh, the travel industry, if you've not been a frequent traveler, the travel industry sort of caters to that person who gets on the plane frequently. You've seen them. They cut in line in front of you, and you're angry every time about it. Uh, they, they sort of have this way of making you feel more important than you really are. And it sort of sucks you into thinking that I'm kind of a big deal. Now, when the oppor- opportunity presented itself to me to join the staff at Christ Community, I jumped at it. And as I said, I love the local church. And in particular, I love Christ Community. I love its people. I love the mission that God has called us to. And I love the thought of working in the same city where I lived and primarily being about this local work within the community. But I've got to be honest, as I was making this decision, my pride and, and in particular my perception of importance fueled by the travel industry uh, sort of caused me to wrestle with being just a pastor. Can you feel that tension? I I don't know if I've set that up properly, but in this moment, it's like I'm feeling this tension of just being a pastor. And in the process of deciding, I called a very good friend of mine. Uh, Some of you may know him. He's been uh, or was a part of Christ Community for some time. His name is Bob Thompson. He was uh, working in a leadership role at Sprint at the time. And I wanted to process with Bob what I was feeling. And I, so I, I told him, I, I, I love the church. I feel like this is a really good fit for me. But I'm just wrestling with, is this a career step backwards? And I'll never forget what Bob said to me at that time. Let's just understand, Bob is a huge baseball fan. And maybe he used a sports analogy because he thought it would particularly be memorable for me but Bob said I mean without missing a beat Bob looked at me and he said well the way I look at it you've just been called up to the big leagues 
And at first I sort of thought, well, you know, that's nice of Bob to kind of say that and make me feel better about what I'm sensing God's leading me where I, where I want to be. But wouldn't the big leagues include a Hilton gold card? You know, that's, that's kind of what's going through my head. It's like, and by the way, Hilton sends you actually, when you're no longer gold, they send you a card telling you you're no longer gold. <laughs> Which they really didn't have to do that. That was, that was painful. And I know at this moment you're seeing really how shallow I am, right? And uh, that that mattered to me. In this moment with Bob, it hit me, though, that if all travel clubs were equal, and they're not, but if they were, I do believe that the local church is the big leagues. Now, I hope you don't hear me saying that FCA or any other nonprofit or... um, places that you might be investing are not important or that their work is not good. Um, That's not the case. I'm not trying to put them down. But God was doing a work in my heart and helping me see that the local church is God's plan A. Or another way of saying it that we use frequently around here at Christ Community is that the local church, as God designed it, is the hope of the world. Let me say that again. The local church, as God designed it, is the hope of the world. Now, I recognize at some, at some point, at this point, that I just lost some of you because that statement is just a little over the top for you. And, and I recognize also that when it comes to the church, we all have baggage, and your baggage may be heavier than mine. And the thought of this statement being true is just, it's just too much. You're just not with me. But here's my hope this morning. I hope that we can individually and collectively stand before this statement and see if it holds up as we look at Scripture. So I just want to ask you to do that with me. You're, you're here. You've already committed. You've, put, you know, you've gotten dressed. You've come here to this place. Actually, it'd be rude for you to leave right now. But uh, uh, let me... That was a joke, by the way. It's well, not rude. If you want to get up and leave, that's okay. I'm just asking you to stand with me and let's wrestle with this. Do we believe this is true? And there's no better place to start with this exploration than the beginning of the church in the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible with with you, I just encourage you to open it up. Uh, If you don't, there are some back on the tables right back behind those dividers there. If you want to get up and grab one, um, feel free to do that. And it would be a good time for you to slip out while you make me think you're getting up and looking for a Bible. Uh, As we open up the Bible... I think we're going to find three things this morning. One is that the church is God's idea, the church has God's power, and the church changes everything. So we're going to look at this in the book of Acts, and I think we're going to see these three things, which for me is enough evidence to say the local church is God designed as the hope of the world, but I hope that you'll help, you'll work along with this uh, as we look at the scripture together this morning. So let's jump in. First, this idea that the church is God's idea. The first time the word church appears, before we get to Acts, by the way, but the first time the word church appears is, is in the New Testament. It's in Matthew 16. You don't have to turn there. Let me just, you might want to jot a note of it. Go look at it later. 16, 18 actually is the first place where that happens. You might remember the story. Jesus asked his disciples, who, who do you say that I am? He asked, first he asked, who do you, they say that I am? And they gave him all these responses. And he looked right at him and said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter responded in this amazing way. It's really this 
first clear declaration of who Christ is. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and he says, Peter, you got it right. I, you, you didn't do that. Somebody else revealed that to you. You heard that from above. And it's on this rock, as he's pointing to Peter, as he's looking to Peter in that moment, it's on this rock that I will build my church. The first time this word appears. Um, it's the, the Greek word ekklesia. Uh, it is first introduced and announced by Jesus in this moment with Peter. Now, the interpretation of this verse has been greatly debated over the years. And the debate mainly centers around what is this rock that Jesus says that he will build his church on? Is it Peter? Is it this confession? Uh, is it his confession? Is it Christ and his teachings? Or is it some combination of these three? Now, our focus this morning is not to deal with that debate, but I think what we can learn from this is no matter where we land on that, we can believe that the church was God's idea. It started from Jesus. I will build my church on this rock. So with the backdrop of this, look with me at Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, where we see an important first sentence. In, this, in the first book, O Theophilus, now if you remember this, this little statement right here, it's like, okay, wait a minute, I've got to get oriented. If you just remember, this uh, book is written by Luke, a physician by profession, an excellent historian uh, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. I think Luke is kind of that person that just was so good with details. And at some point, you know, Luke may have said, hey, I think we ought to uh, make sure we're capturing this stuff that Jesus is doing. And one of the disciples looked at him and said, yeah, that'd be a perfect thing for you to do. You know, why don't you write it down? Well, I'm a doctor. You know, no, you're really good at this. Luke became known as an excellent historian. And his writings are reliable and are counted on by um, historians throughout the ages. And so Luke is right at the very beginning. He's saying, in the first book, Theophilus, and he continues, in this first book, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So he begins the book of Acts by telling Theophilus and us as well that what he's about to write, what is known as the hist in history as the birth of the church, the book of Acts, is actually just a continuation of what Jesus began to do and teach. You see the connection, Matthew 16, Jesus is saying, I will build my church. And Luke is now telling us in the book of Acts that what I'm about to write down is actually just a continuation of what he already started. The church is God's idea. And this becomes especially clear when we look at Jesus' last words before he returned to his father, which Luke records for us as well. When someone's about to say their last thing that they have an opportunity to communicate to their, to their friends, to their, their relatives, th those words are important. And what did he say as he departed? Look at Rome, or Acts uh, 1.8. He said, but Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. And, but He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and even to the outermost parts of the earth and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of sight. Now, can you imagine this moment? 
I mean, just put yourself, this is oftentimes I think we read through these scriptures or maybe they're even familiar with us and we just fail to actually think about this moment. You're standing there having a conversation with Jesus and he says, I don't think he says, hey, in just a minute, I'm going to disappear. I don't think he did that. So he's, he's like saying, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses. He says this thing. And then, I mean, just imagine yourself as the disciples. What would you be doing? I mean, I would definitely be in shock. I'd be standing there gawking. Like, maybe, you know, even thinking, what is, what's happened? I mean, they've seen him walk through doors, so maybe they're just not that shaken by it. But I just have a feeling that they're standing there in shock. And you have to wonder if Jesus and the angels, you know, he's ascended to heaven, and they just see these disciples standing there in shock. And Jesus says, you know, would you guys go back down and tell him to get to work? Because we get this little picture here. There's these two people appear to him and says, oh, and by the way, you're just standing here. Please go back, you know, could you please get to work? I mean, this is, remember, he's not here. He's not coming back. He's going to come later. Go do what he said. Now think about it with me for this way. Uh, when we tell the history of our church, Christ community, and more specifically that the work that God is calling us to do here in the downtown community, how do we tell that story? Well, it's likely we'd start with Christ community beginning in Tom and Liz's apartment and Tom and Liz moving here to, to Kansas City to begin... In, and I've heard him tell this many times, come in the U-Haul, and you know, they don't know anybody here in Kansas City, and they, they start meeting in their apartment. The first one was a meeting of three, Tom and Liz and their son, their infant son, Schaefer. That was the beginning of Christ's community. Or, if we think of downtown, we, we might talk about how several downtown residents began to recognize the importance of us having a presence here in the city. And the addition of this new space uh, this past summer. And all of that history is well and good. But doesn't it just change things a little bit if we were to say or I was to say to you that our church was God's idea? Now, I know this is a big leap for some of you. You may not be able to make this. I mean, surely we believe and maybe we can even grab onto that the church, the big C, you know, the capital C, the the universal church was God's idea. But for us to think that we, that this was God's idea, that just becomes a little more difficult for us to get our heads around. But think with me on this one. What is the universal church? What is the big C? The answer is that it's nothing more than the sum total of the local churches, the sum total of us. And in Scripture, there's very little conversation about the universal church. Almost all the conversation, all the references are about actual local churches and the work that they are called to do in their cities, in their communities. So if we just keep that logic going with, just for a moment, here's where it leads us, that Christ's community was God's idea. Now, this ought to keep us humble, by the way. For the bottom line is that we can take very little credit for what he's done. And I, I know throughout the history of Christ's community, having been here for 20 years, 
there are moments where, you know, people will kind of look and say, boy, that was really great what you guys did, or, you know, you did this. And I, and I know we had no clue what we were doing. <laughs> now, don't, but don't get me wrong. I, I'm thankful to Tom. Um, I'm thankful for the pioneering spirit that Tom and Liz had to come and to Kansas City begin something new and for the way he's used them to build his church. I'm also thankful for Gabe and his role here. Um, but let's be honest. Which of these makes more sense to you? That this is Gabe's idea or this is God's idea? Which one makes you want to be more on the team? Well, I definitely have a problem with this, that the local church, as Gabe designed it, is the hope of the world. <laughs> and the reason I have trouble with that statement is not because I know Gabe and I work with him, but because I know me and my story and what I see around me. And, and it leads me to believe that people are broken sinners in need of rescue and the bottom line is that I can't buy into any statement with a name, with a person, or any human being as a designer. But the scriptures tell us this is not the case. The church is God's idea. Which leads to the next logical question. Did God just give these guys a good idea and leave them to pull it off? Or is he still involved in some way? And this leads, I think, to the second reason that I believe the church, as God designed it, is the hope of the world. And that is the church has God's power. Now, unfortunately, people rarely associate God's power with the church. As a matter of fact, I'm guessing that some of you here might even say that you don't really need the church to experience God's presence or his power. You might even think that the church is and has been a hindrance to you and experience God's presence and power. But when it comes to Acts 2, it's clear that God is making good on his promises. And he will not leave the disciples alone in this work that he's called them to do, the work of building his church. Repeatedly, as, we, as he talked with the disciples, Jesus promised them he would not leave them, he would not leave them alone, and that he would send someone to help them as he carried out this idea. And as in Acts 1... As he departed, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come, and when he did, that they would receive power. Now, here's another one of those gawking moments. I mean, I'm sure, you know, Jesus, you can go back and we can read them all, that he's prepared them, the Holy Spirit is coming. I'm sure they're waiting on this day with great anticipation, but I have a hunch that this moment still blew them away. Here's the setting. They're gathered in Jerusalem as a church. Uh, it's actually, uh, the scriptures tell us in one, Acts one fifteen that there's 120 gathered. This is the church in Jerusalem. This is the church. So there's about 90 chairs here, 80 chairs. So just kind of give a picture of this. I mean, this is, you know, about what we could put in here, 120 people. They are gathered together for Pentecost, one of the Jewish festivals, harvest festivals likely eating together. And look with me in Acts 1 beginning in verse or Acts 2 beginning in verse 1. 
And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And as this sound, and at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, I always have a hard one with that one, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Now talk about a jaw-dropping moment. Tongues, a divided tongue coming down from heaven. A few weeks ago, I was in Chicago at Trinity Seminary recruiting our next group of fellows to be joining us at Christ Community. While I was there, I attended a chapel uh, where a pastor spoke, Pastor Alex Gee, or G. Um, and he described this moment like this. He said, on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. But on Pentecost, he said, it is on. And you can almost hear him saying, I tried to warn you. I told you this was coming. And with divided tongues out of the sky, a sound of rushing wind filling the place. It was hard for them to miss these clear symbols of God's presence and his power. It is on. Let's go. Let's do it. I told you it was coming. Here we go. And it's in this moment that I believe it becomes clear that only God can provide what the church most desperately needs. A church is only a church if it is filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, the church has God's power. So this begs the question, should we expect flaming tongues? I heard a great analogy this week that I think might be helpful as we seek to understand why most of us, maybe all of us, have not encountered a moment like this. You see, Luke is giving a historical account of what happened to begin the church. It's sort of like a giant boulder is dropped in a lake. And there is a big splash in that moment. And the ripples continue out. And the ripples are unstoppable. But this big splash was for a unique purpose. The purpose of beginning, of launching the church. And the ripples look different than they look in Acts chapter 2. God's presence and power are now here with the church. And we too should be an unstoppable force, just like what we see here in Acts 2. But as we all know, the church often lacks power and limps along like an anemic organization. 
and the ripples seem to be non-existent. Why is this? Well, although there are many answers to this question, let me just suggest two for us to consider this morning. One is that I think we just get in the way. Now, for some reason, and I don't completely understand this, it seems very inefficient, and it seems like God could have come up with a better plan for this to happen, but he decided to use us, for there was a part for us to play in the building of his church. And as a result, the church will never be the perfect reflection of what God intended. And this is true, I think, for one main reason. The church includes me. Now, before you start a let's get rid of Kevin campaign, because uh, if we could get him out, maybe that's what would solve it. I just also say that the church is not what God intended because it, in, it includes you. In other words, we get in the way. One small example of this is, at least this is true in my life, I'm going to speak it as if it's all of us, that we long for control. And while we might desire to experience the power of God we see reflected here in Acts 2, we definitely don't want it to interfere with the Chiefs game today. And let's be honest, the whole flaming tongue thing coming down to the sky, we've got artwork hanging here. I mean, what would that do to the artwork? That was a joke, by the way, so just here. Maybe a convicting joke for me, so you're not laughing just because of out of pity for me. You see, we want God's power, but we want it on our terms. And then we wonder why God's not here with us. But I think there's another reason that we rarely experience God's power in the church, and it's this, that we just miss it. We just plain fail to see it. Because here's the deal. I think God's work is all around us. But our sinfulness leads us to want to take credit, and as a result, we begin to explain explain God's work through natural causes. And we only go to God for the really big things. It's almost like we view God as this out-of-touch CEO that we've sort of marginalized and pushed, pushed to the edge of the organization. We don't want to bug him with the, with the small stuff. So we keep him on the outside until we really need him, until really it's something important, or so we think. And when we look back, we just sadly have to admit that it's been a long time since there was something really big where we felt like we needed him. Oh, sure, we verbally speak about this being his church, but we've sort of edged him out, or we can edge him out, and wonder why we lack his power. So let me just ask you, and let me just be clear with you this morning. How, how are you processing this? Because without the work of the Holy Spirit, the church is definitely not the hope of the world. But the fact that we mess it up does not change that I believe there's a foundational truth here that God, the church, has God's power. We are his plan A. We see repeated times in Scripture where he's, Peter is a perfect example where he's seen our feeble efforts and still not given up on us. 
Which leads, I think, to the third and final thing that I, we see this morning is that the church changes everything. When we look at what happened immediately after the church is given this presence and power of God through the Holy Spirit, we get a glimpse of the work that God is calling us to do. First, I think we see that through God's power, God, God changes hearts. In verse 14 through 36, in Acts chapter 2 there, you see a sermon that Peter delivers. I encourage you to read it this week. He stands up and speaks boldly to the people that have gathered. This moment has happened. Others have come in. A lot of people gathered around. And remember, this is the same Peter that not long ago, maybe 40 days ago or something like that, he denied Jesus. 50 days ago, he denied Jesus to a servant girl because he was afraid that she might hurt him. And now he stands boldly and declares to the multitudes this life-changing truth of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And verse 37 tells us that when he was done, many were cut to the heart. And they asked, this, they asked them this question, what should we do? So Peter makes it clear. He, he says, you, you need to repent. You are sinful, broken people. You need to repent. And place your hope in Christ. And on that day, remember, 120 gathered? On that day, 3,000 were added to the church. But that's not all that happened. Look with me at verse 42, which Sherry read for us earlier. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and of prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food and with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The church, through God's power, not only changes hearts, it changes our life together. Don't we long for a community like this? And we'll be diving in more to this in the coming weeks. But let's be clear. I think Luke is writing more to describe this unique moment in time, not to tell what every church should look like. But let's not miss the work of the Holy Spirit and the way he reorders life for each of us. You see, the church is called to be a different kind of community, marked by an eagerness to learn, a hospitality and a generosity, a joyfulness and gratefulness to God. The church, through the power of God, changes hearts, changes our life together, and finally we see here that it also changes our community. Do you see it in verse 47 and 48? They had favor with all people and people were attracted to them and were coming to them and were being added to them day by day. I was here on the Sunday morning where we celebrated our We Moved party and had the first, well, it wasn't actually the first service in here, but the, the first public moment, if you will. 
And there was one moment that I loved about that day that I just think will stand with me forever. And it was when Gabe was with the panelists up here, different people, leaders uh, from the community, for those of you who, that, who weren't here. And Gabe asked them, how could we be a good neighbor here in downtown in the crossroads? And a repeated, repeated refrain from the panelists was, just keep doing what you're doing. You all are such good neighbors. Now, just so we don't get proud and begin to think of it, that this is about us, let's remember that this is primarily a work of the Holy Spirit through us. Changing us, changing our life together, changing our community. This should be the work of the church. And yet, all too often, the church lacks the favor of all people. And as a result, is sort of marginalized in its role in the community. But God's idea for us, God's idea for the church is something completely different. Because the local church, as God designed it, is the hope of the world. So as we close this morning, I want to just ask you to invite the Holy Spirit to do a work in your heart as we reflect on a few questions. Has your heart been changed? Have you had that moment where you've been cut to the heart? Jesus lived, was crucified. He paid the penalty for our sin to set us free, was raised to life, a fact that Peter was willing to give his life for. And if Jesus really raised from the dead, you can't respond to him as just a good teacher. You read his words and he's either the greatest fraud that ever lived or he is God. And if he is God, he demands your allegiance he demands and deserves your confession that he is Lord. So invite the Holy Spirit right now to speak to you. Have, has my heart been changed? Have I placed my hope and faith and trust in him? And if you have, let me ask you, are you committed to his church? You see, he longs for each of us to generously invest in this place. Not some theoretical church with a big C. In your church, both its people, the individuals who are gathered here, and the organization that he is building. How might he be calling you to invest more? to become more of a person who loves the local church. <laughs> Let's face it. Even if we believe this, we are a people who forget. We forget the church is God's idea. We forget that, that He is here and with us in power. We forget this new life that he has called us to. But here's the good news. Jesus knew it would be this way. And so he asked us as the church that when we gather together to take time to remember. 
And in a small way, we sort of reenact this Acts 2 moment. A community of people gathered together around the table, breaking bread. As we share communion with one another. You see, it's in the broken bread that we remember His broken body and the price that He paid that we might enter His joy. And it's in the cup that we remember His blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Now here at Christ Community, as we share this moment of remembrance together, we don't require you to be a member of our church to participate. All followers of Jesus, all who have had their heart changed, are welcome at His table. But please remember as we take this, and we do this each week together, that this is not an obligation. This is an opportunity to remember. And if during this time you'd prefer to sit right where you are and reflect, invite the Holy Spirit to do a work in your heart, feel free to do so. If you're new with us here, it can be sort of awkward stepping over one another. And let me just say we're okay with that. We're a family. We're okay with that bumping in. Um, We'd invite you to come in groups of four to six. Exit out through the center. uh, Go to the back. Uh, There's two communion stations. Uh, This group turn to the right, this group to the left, and then come back around here. Take the bread, dip it in the cup, and partake. For the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance for me. And in the same way, he took the cup and after supper and he said, this cup of the new covenant is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me pray. Father, we ask that you would do a work in us as we pause to remember. Holy Spirit, we invite your work here amongst us, in our hearts, in this place, in this church. Lord, forgive us for the times where we are negligent and we simply get in your way of doing your work among your people in your church. Lord, we pause now to remember what you have done. 